in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that, again, was the book from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. And our gospel reading from the lectionary today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you've regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So discipleship is the spiritual practice uh, on my mind today. And discipleship boiled down to its most basic explanation is just teaching. Uh, In the context of Christianity, discipleship is a little more specific. It's teaching that's meant to be at the core of our faith. It gives us our identity and formation, and it lets us know how closely we are modeling uh, Christ, whom we call our Savior, who we say we're following. Uh, Discipleship at the core of our faith shows us how to be just as loving and gracious as Christ is. Last week, we uh, thought about fellowship as a spiritual discipline, a practice that keeps us grounded and rooted in our faith and keeps our spirits alive and healthy, and how important it is to continue fellowshipping, even though we have to find creative ways to fellowship uh, together and still stay apart from each other. We fellowship together away from each other. Uh, And discipleship is very much like fellowship. You can think of discipleship as the natural progression of fellowship. You can think of discipleship as uh, the evolution of fellowship. Uh, It's fellowship with intention. Discipleship is the art of making a relationship with anybody off the street, somebody you know, somebody in your family, and teaching them how to participate in bringing the transformational love, freedom, and justice of God. All of those uh, things that we think of as parts of God's reign uh, that will transform human life, bringing those from God's imagination into our reality and lived experience. 
That is the act and the practice of discipleship. Using uh, your relationships with other people to teach each other how to make God's dreams come true. Discipleship gives us a window from which we can peer out of the world as it is into the world as it should be. And discipleship doesn't just leave us with that image, it opens the door and lays the path for us to walk into that world. But how do we engage in discipleship today, especially six feet apart? Hopefully many of the ways that you have uh, learned to continue fellowshipping with each other can be built on now. And if you uh, were faithful to God uh, and asking God to show you who you can reach out to, who you can fellowship with, who you can be uh, supporting and uh, showing you who needs some, somebody to love them right now even a little more because of the pandemic and, and so many other challenges that this year has brought, uh, discipleship asks how you can take one step further and not just transform you and your relationship, but start transforming the world around you because of the love of God that's present with both of you in the relationship you built and in the fellowship you've had. And that's when things get really exciting. Uh, if you want to get all the benefits of being discipled, or take on the role of discipling someone else. You'll firstly need to be familiar with the teachings of Jesus. What did Jesus say? Uh, what did Jesus believe? You'll want to familiarize yourself with this. Uh, and not just what did Jesus say, you are going to want to know what did Jesus do? He chose to demonstrate his values. And Jesus wasn't just demonstrating his values. He was showing us God's priorities. And this is where it gets interesting. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, his signature speech, Jesus' I have a dream speech, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does not come to play. First off, Jesus sets the bar for holiness so high that not me or anybody I know could reach it. Who's, I don't, who's the holiest person connected to all of that? Angie, maybe? I don't know. Whoever it is, the bar that Jesus sets is too high. Jesus sets the record straight for those who say that forgiveness is, is all he's about. He says, don't get it twisted. I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. The rules still apply. Matter of fact, as long as we're on the subject... You know, the rule is not to murder, but I'm telling you, don't even be angry. Oh, that's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be a, that's going to be an issue for me. Uh, don't even be angry. Are you kidding me? Not, don't murder, I can handle. It's, don't be angry, though. That's, that's asking a lot. And I want to say, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus have you ever met some church folk, Lord? You want, you want us to just all mingle together and never be angry? How are we supposed to go about your mission and never get angry with each other? Uh, Jesus says, well, that's easy. 
if you're ever in worship with somebody and you remember you got beef, just leave worship and go make up. Don't come back to me until you're good with them. Simple. Uh, (laughs) That's a lot to ask for me. If y'all are just loving on each other all the time, never been angry... I've got some catching up. I need some one of y'all to disciple me on on that. <laughs> because sometimes I get angry. And now Jesus doesn't just stop with anger. Jesus says, so you have uh, heard, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you now, don't even look at a woman. If you can't see her as a person, and the fullness of her dignity and worth as a human being instead of an object or a servant at your disposal. Just sh- keep your eyes shut. Don't even look in their direction if that's, if that's such an issue for you. Well, that just got a whole lot harder too, didn't it? All, it's not just what I do, but it's like my attitude about what I'm, what I'm doing when I do it how I feel and think about other people and not just the action I take well that's a little more complicated than I thought now in a culture of macho energy and toxic masculinity where men compete with each other and try to hold in all their emotions and be the toughest and the strongest and the most stoic Some men might wonder and might want to ask Jesus, how am I supposed to keep my eyes off that honey when she's looking that fine? How am I supposed to do that, Jesus? Get real, Jesus. Well, Jesus says, well, that's simple, really. If you find you can't control your male gaze and the way that you look at women, well, just pluck out both your eyes problem solved. Easy as that. And Jesus says, since I have you here, if you can't keep your hands to yourself, since your eyes wander, you know, some, maybe your hands tend to wander too. If, if you got a problem like that, just go ahead and chop those bad boys right off. If you're so devoid of self-control that you are out here bothering people, get to chopping. Maybe some of Jesus' listeners found a little extra motivation at this point to take responsibility for their own behavior and the way they looked at the women in their community and the way they thought about how they should treat them. Jesus goes on from here. He just keeps doubling down on all the classic rules all the customs that were important in the religion and culture of the time, and instead of making anything easier, he just makes everything sound impossible. I, I don't know who could possibly manage to measure up to the standard that Jesus is setting. He says, you heard take an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you, turn the other cheek. You've heard that if someone sues you, see if you can get away, But I'm telling you, if they're suing you, they want the shirt off your back, give them your coat too. Jesus takes it so far as to suggest that the way of loving people that he's talking about is so radical 
that it should be extended outside not only of your immediate family, not only outside of your own cultural group or your race or ethnicity, but even to your enemies. Jesus loved people that were that he knew were getting ready to kill him. If you have that kind of love in you already, you might you are the person I want discipling me because when people come for me, they better come prepared because I'm not going without a fight. And <laughs> maybe that's just spiritual immaturity on my part. But this is the call of discipleship. If a, if a Roman soldier makes you carry his gear one mile, go ahead and walk with him another mile. Freak people out with your love. Get bizarre with how dedicated you are to love. Be weird about it. Make people take a second look at how loving you are. Go love somebody so much that they squint their eyes and tilt their head a little bit trying to figure out what's wrong with you. Be perfect, Jesus says, because God in heaven is perfect. Simple as that. Now, I am familiar with people who take the Bible very literally. Every word it says and is, to be, is to be read just the way it's said. And I've not met anybody missing their eyes. I've not seen any men missing their hands. Now, maybe they're all just perfectly gent- well-behaved gentlemen around women. Or maybe when it comes to this verse, they understand that sometimes there are things in the Bible that are metaphors or meant to be taken in literary terms to illustrate a point. And the point that I think Jesus is making here is not necessarily that we should maim our beautiful bodies made by God that God loves but that being perfect like God is perfect as Christians trying to disciple each other and be discipled is more of an art than a science. We can't have a list of t- 10 things to, to not do and say we've done all we needed. We just don't murder anybody. We just don't commit adultery. We just don't go to court and lie on anybody. And we can call ourselves good with God. And Jesus is saying, don't you think there's anything else going on? Do you think that that I sent those tablets down just so you would know what not to do? You are meant to be understanding not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is unstoppable, unreasonable, irrational love. Jesus is calling us into critical thinking and conversation with one another beyond the letter of the law and into the spirit. And when we engage with each other with seriousness, but also gentleness and respect, 
What we're doing is discipling each other because that's what Jesus did for us. We're making each other a little more like Christ through the transforming power of God's love in us. Not only does this love make us more Christ-like, this love makes us more human. It reconnects us to ourselves and the parts of ourselves that have been pushed down by the world. And it makes us more connected to our families and our neighbors. And all of that makes us more of who God has always meant us to be. It makes us more integrated into the social fabric of our community. And it brings us deeper into the divine presence as we all push forward into the make and model of Christ. And as we practice and practice and practice being Christ-like, Jesus goes out of his way to make it clear he's not, uh, he's not making anything easier regarding the law. Actually, He's increasing the expectations, and not just the expectations, but the accountability. This is what he calls fulfilling the law. Not abolishing, but fulfilling, bringing out its deepest design and purpose and intention. And the Apostle Paul uses the same phrase in the Romans reading for today, saying, Love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That means when you're loving somebody, obviously you haven't murdered them. When you're loving somebody, obviously you haven't used them as an object for your own gain. When you're loving somebody, you haven't gone around spreading lies about them. When you're loving somebody, you haven't been plotting in the dark against somebody waiting on them to fail. When you're loving somebody, you're not envious of them and you, you, you can't be happy for them because seeing them doing well means that you're doing, doing poor. When you love somebody, you are fulfilling the deepest purpose of God's law. And so Paul and Jesus let us know that if you really want to follow the law, if you really want to be a disciple and disciple others, then you have got to understand the power and recklessness of God's ridiculous love. That is good, good news for me and my life and my whole situation. (laughs) Now remember, in Paul's mind, we've been talking about Paul for a few weeks, and recall, he... Uh, he and to him you essentially have two choices living in the spirit or living in the flesh uh, now you can be like everybody else going through the world only worried about your 401k and your bottom line trying to get more property trying to get a, new cars only worried about yourself and your own family with a tiny circle of concern that leaves its community behind. Or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Romans today, he says, that is when you move from the night into the day. And you stride into the daylight wearing armor made of light. That is 
in Paul's mind, a model of discipleship where you're not just fellowshipping, but your fellowship is a transformative and radical action that leads you away from the world and its its structures of selfishness and self-serving behavior and into a community that, that prioritizes the most at risk and the vulnerable. That is what it means to Paul to fulfill the law, to disciple, to be discipled, to be a beloved community. And walking that path of transformation, putting on armor made of light, that takes teachers, that takes a community to love and support you, especially when the world keeps telling you that you're doing it all wrong. And that's why I'm telling you today that even in this pandemic, even socially distanced from each other, we must find ways to be discipling one another, continuing to encourage each other to be like Jesus, even when it's the hardest. Encouraging each other to be reaching out and seeing whom we can disciple. Looking for people who have drifted from God's family and inviting them back in, calling them back in. You, you, you got to make sure you've got somebody watching your back in life. You've got to make sure somebody has your interests at heart when you've given up on yourself. You need somebody who's going to be there to call you back in when you struggle and doubt that you deserve to be back in. When you struggle and doubt that you have a place. So if you've got somebody to remind you, and today I want to remind you that you belong in God's family. I don't care who you are or what you believe. God loves you the same as anybody else. And God calls you to come and eat at God's table the same as anybody else. You have value, you have worth, and nothing can take that away. God's grace comes to people before people realize they need it. God doesn't wait for you to ask to give you grace. Thank God. And if love is the fulfillment of the law, you have got to love yourself as well. And in light of all this knowledge, and in light of all this context, we can see that the Matthew passage, with its prescriptive approach to conflict resolution, you've got a problem, we'll try solving it one-on-one. If, that, if they still won't listen to you, bring some witnesses, Get it, get, keep the receipts, get a paper trail so that everybody knows what was said by who. You have some evidence to suggest that you are not being heard. Uh, this is not a formula for solving all of the issues that crop up in a church, where there would be less infighting in churches because we would have figured it out by now. What that, this portion of Matthew is, is a record of how important it was to the first Christians to have a method, some facility of hearing each other. A method that allowed them to be accountable to the disadvantaged and the vulnerable in their own community. Something that made sure that people that were not going to be heard, that people didn't want to listen to, had some kind of way of being heard when they were being left out. They had an assurance that they would have a voice in their community, especially when that community, the Bible says, sinned against them, especially when that community hurt them and did harm to them. 
This passage from Matthew highlights how critical it is in the life of Christians to listen to those that say we hurt them, even if we don't understand how. You don't need to understand. You got to listen still. You don't, we don't have to literally use the same model that's described for us in the book of Matthew here. Try to be heard if it doesn't work. Just keep going up the chain. The point is to absorb the higher meaning of the text and ask the real question that it leaves us with. Well, what's the real question it leaves us with, Pastor? I'm so glad that you asked that because I, I might have forgotten to tell you. The question it leaves us with is, who is it today that the church community is sinning against? Who is it today that the church refuses to listen to? Who is it today that has brought witnesses against us to say that they have not been heard? Who is it today that should treat the, the church of God, the Christian church, like Gentiles and tax collectors, in the words of Matthew? Who are we not prepared to listen to? And how can we be prepared to listen to them and to their pain and the truth of their experience and the lives that they live? And how can we put aside our arrogance and our self-assurance and invite them back into our community? Knowing that a church is not a place where everybody agrees on everything anyway. Because <laughs> we're not meant to divide ourselves up and dehumanize each other like that. We're meant to be a community of all-encompassing, transforming love. And let me tell you this, if you can't listen to somebody and take them seriously, lower your own defenses, humble yourself, and just keep offering them real, genuine, effective love that doesn't ask them to change who they are as a person if they're not like actively abusing or hurting you, that's not acceptable. If you can't listen, you can't love them. You don't know them. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what it's like to be them. You're not really interested in them. That means you can't disciple them either. You can't even fellowship with them. You can't even take the first step with them. And that, from, from the scriptures I'm reading today, that doesn't seem to be like a call to anything like God's love to me. Unless, you know, the, the only value I can see in taking that approach towards uh, God's love is that you will be an excellent example of what not to do. Now, the mysterious power of discipleship that we're talking about that's at risk here when we act foolishly and cruelly towards one another is so important. It's taking, we take it seriously because in that final line from the book of Matthew, Jesus tells us where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. 
So you see that it's not just about us going along to get along. It's not just about a pastor saying nobody rock the boat. This is about when we lay down our need to judge and divide. What happens is something beautiful, mysterious, and transformative, and in some kind of way, when we manage that, when we reach that level of discipleship as a community, Jesus is there in our midst. The presence of God is right there with us, even if it's just two of us. So it's about being able to gather together as a community that is beloved, reconciled to one another, because when we do that, Jesus is here with us on earth. And all that power and divine manifestation begins with the profoundly simple yet vexingly difficult gift of listening. So if you want to disciple people today, you need to be prepared to listen to them about the pain or the trauma they may associate with the church. You need to be able to listen to people living in a culture that first lost the ability to distinguish a truth from a fact and now has begun its descent even further into an inability to discern reality from fantasy, even if that fantasy is being offered by someone that's always been known to be a con man. I don't know what to say about that, but that's the world that we're living in. If you want to offer people the truth of the love of God and engage them on the journey of discipleship, first you have to listen to their truth their own words, their experiences. You have to believe them and take them seriously. That's just basic respect. We were always meant to be a community for everybody. A community that knows how to talk to people and make them feel heard, make them feel seen and valued and humanized. That's the heart of Christian discipleship in a nutshell. The willingness to see your own privilege and take the lives of others just as seriously as you take your own. And you start living like that, you are living like Christ. You start teaching other people to live like that, you, my dear siblings, are making disciples. You take really strenuous care to notice that the focus on discipleship here isn't about uh, just teaching people what to believe. It's almost always about actions people take and why and how and if they are making sure that the actions they take are protecting the vulnerable and the most at risk in their community making sure that they get what they need that's the starting place of discipleship too many churches think discipleship is just about programming someone like a computer so that they have the right beliefs while God is waiting on the church to move and restore the brokenness of human relationships and demand justice and freedom and liberty for all of God's children to put on armor made of light and shine in the darkness. It takes a lot more than just no, like memorizing some, some verses. It takes a lot more than saying just one simple prayer or making a, a nice uh, a love offering to... Uh, toll-free number on TBN, it, it takes a little bit more to really be engaged in the work of discipleship. Because God is waiting 
Not for you to simply believe, but for you to act like you believe. Now, if you've been well-discipled, you aren't worried about indoctrinating anybody. You're worried about humanizing and validating everybody that's been ostracized, brutalized, traumatized by a world that only values what they can wring out of them. And if you go about discipleship the right way, you'll preach without any words. And the life that you live and the love that you give will be all the sermon anyone needs to hear to know that God's love is real and not just real, but powerful and effective and life-changing. Obviously, you should get the teachings, but if you get the teachings, if you get the teachings of Jesus for real, if you know what he said and you know what he did, there's going to be some real concrete action in your life. And if there's no concrete action, there will be at least a desire for that action. You'll be looking for ways to spread that love around. So when you upgrade your fellowship by realizing that when you gather together, Christ is there with you. And that truth stirs your heart and your spirit to make a change that benefits somebody. That's discipleship starting. That's God getting ready to change somebody's life through you. And when they start getting discipled, and then they start acting out like they saw you acting out, well, now you're going to have some spiritual grandbabies on your hands. Because discipleship is a love chain reaction. So today, I encourage you to find ways to set off that love chain reaction in your life. If God has been moving in your heart, putting people on your mind to build relationship with, to offer love and freedom and justice to, keep working. Keep working to, to reach out to those people and bring them into community. And I think we had one, uh, one more caller on our 11 a.m. call. I think my brother-in-law called in. And he is amazed, as I am, of how loving this community is. And maybe you have somebody in your life you can invite. Because there's, this, is a, this is a benefit to just basking in God's love. It feels good. It makes you healthier. It helps you get your mind right. And you got to have something like that if the whole rest of the world's gone crazy. So as we pray today, I'll ask God to speak to your heart. Uh, and as you dig in to these spiritual practices we're reviewing. I'll pray that God puts, puts someone on your heart or that you will uh, find the, the courage or the words or the, uh, the idea that you need to take your fellowship with the people you've already outreached up to the next level. And this is how we'll stay plugged in. This is how we'll stay creative and agile as we wage war on the devil and all the powers of darkness wearing armor that shines. Let's pray. Uh, gracious God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your transformative love. Thank you for uh, uh, my brother-in-law getting through his surgery and being able to fellowship with us. Uh, and thank you for uh, the chance for us to love on him and show, show uh, all, of, all of us to show each other how important we are to each other by embodying 
your love uh, in a community. God, keep moving in our hearts that we'll uh, have more and more love to give because you are an endless supply. And the world is in desperate need of light right now. We pray for Reverend Wright that your spirit of healing and love will manifest in his life continually uh, and in our whole community that you'll continue to be with us through all of our grief and struggles that you'll give us the strength we need to carry on. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all for uh, being with us this afternoon. Even if you're watching the recording, drop a comment and let me know that you were with us. You can share the video. Uh, the, the link to support us financially is uh, in, the, in the post of this video. And also, Brother Chester is probably going to share it in a, in a second or two. Uh, feel free to reach out to any of us. We like to talk. <laughs> we like to love on people. We like to have new people to love on because sometimes we get sick of loving on each other. Uh, and I will be so excited and happy to see you next week as we continue digging in. Amen and peace be with all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, yeah, the dancing. Let's get some dancing going. Hey. See you next week, brother. Peace. You too. Yeah, have a good day. Yeah, let's see. How can we see them? How can we all see them dancing? Can I invite people into this video somehow? Or do you, or are you gonna stream on your page? I gotta get more tech savvy, y'all. Stay on, I'm gonna tag you. Okay. We're gonna have the the great privilege of seeing uh, seeing the dances, the worship through dance, and I love it. <laughs>